0: All right, welcome to the University Church, and we are in the house of the Lord, and I want to tell you that, number one, I am super excited whenever I get the chance to be in the house of the Lord, and more than that, whenever it's a Sabbath, there's something that comes over me, knowing that a busy week has ended, and I've entered a zone with my God. I hope that you're excited, too, about the Sabbath, because we can all rest and learn together from the word of God. Before we begin, let us have a word of prayer. Father, we come before you now as nothing. We ask you to speak to us because we know that if you don't speak to us, we would have no idea as far as what to do with our lives and ourselves. Father, we pray that you may kindle within our hearts a stronger desire for heaven, and for home. We pray that this message may be clear and that it may connect with the hearts of everyone in this room as your Holy Spirit takes the words and connects them to each person. Thank you for speaking to us in advance. We pray that you may remove again the preacher and let Christ be seen, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I also want to say welcome to those online as well. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Imagine with me that you are driving down the highway. How many of you drive? Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you are afraid of driving? Not too many. Michiganders drive well. You're driving down the highway, and as you get on, maybe it's 127 And as you merge onto the highway, it seems that there's a lonely road, no vehicle in sight, and you gaze in the distance and you see this, someone sleeping in the middle of the road. What would immediately pop into your mind? Something is wrong. Why would this person be sleeping in the middle of the road? Secondly, what would you do? If you saw this, what would you say? Anyone? Are you okay? Number one, what is wrong with you? This is not the place to sleep. You can see how comfortable this man is. The hat is over his face, blocking the sunlight. He is stretched out, and he's just enjoying himself. It's interesting because I went online and searched for the term freedom, and this is what I found. Does this look like freedom to you? This looks rather dangerous to me. If you saw your pastor doing this, do not only pray for me, but come get me. (laughs) When I see a picture like this, the words that immediately come to my mind or to my heart is, young man, get up with gusto and with a strong desire to see someone making a change in his or her situation. Because if you leave someone in this position, particularly, that is troublesome. You know, that's what what sin is like in our lives. You know, we lay down and we say, you know what, this is freedom. This is what freedom feels like. And I feel like God in those moments is saying to us, get up. It's not safe. That's what we want to talk about today. Get up. This week, I was at the campus house in my office, and a man walked in with a bush trimmer. He was talking to the students outside because we had just finished the, the uh, one day of training we were doing Bible boot camp, and they introduced him to me and said, this is Pastor Jermaine. He's the one to talk to. He came in with, with bush trimmers, and he was looking for something to do to gain some cash. And so he walked into my office, and I told him, have a seat. So he sat down. I have a very strong love for people, so I always try to engage people in conversation. And so he sat down. We started talking. I asked, what is your name? Surprisingly enough, his name was Jermaine. So here it is. Jermaine is talking to Jermaine. This was, by the way, on Thursday, or I think it was. It's fascinating, you know, how the Lord works those things out. I have a story to tell now. And so here it is, Jermaine is having a dialogue with Jermaine. And so he sat down, and so I started talking with him. He explained to me that he was just looking for a job. He saw the bush outside and wanted to know if we needed someone to trim the bushes. And so I told him, we, we kind of have someone that does that. And he looked at it, he said, you know what, they're doing a sloppy job. I can probably help you better. I said, okay, way to advertise. <laughs> and so we started talking more. So I started asking him some questions. I said, where are you from? He told me. I said, so uh, let me get this straight. How is, it, for some reason, I was compelled to ask him, how is life going for you right now? And he just started to tell me his story. He started sobbing as he began expressing what was happening. Here was this man coming in just to gain some cash, and he was talking to... Jermaine, I told him I'm a pastor. There's no coincidence in this dialogue between you and I. So let's talk together. I asked, are you a Christian? He said, you know what, I've been a Christian. I was a Christian when I was 12 or 13, 14, and then my mom, my dad gave me the choice, so I decided to walk away from God. And I've never turned back since. And so I began asking him more questions. I said, do you desire to turn back? And he said, you know what, I don't think God can accept me now. With more tears, I watched this man, a total stranger, weeping, and I was watching him weeping in front of me. And we started talking some more, and I said, God wants to save you. I almost wanted to tell him, get up. God wants to save you. He wants to save you. Please give him a chance. And with tears in his eyes, he kept on. I don't know if you'll accept me. I said, I'm a pastor. I know he will. I know he will. If he can accept someone like me, I know he can accept you. And then he went on again. I just don't know if he can accept me. I could tell that this man was experiencing a lot of troubles in his life. I can't tell you what he shared with me, but I know that his story was just so mind-boggling. His troubles were many. Life was just so frustrating for him. Everything he tried was failing. And I said, man, give your heart to Jesus. I'm a total stranger. I don't even know why I'm telling you this this way. But you need to give your heart to Jesus. And he looked at me and he asked me, what good will that do? I almost wanted to tell him, get up. We talked some more. And I told him, let's meet outside. And I went into my office and prayed some more, grabbed a Bible and put some cash in the Bible and grabbed the Desire of Ages and brought it out to him. I was was compelled to, to do that for two reasons. Number one, I want him to open the pages of the Bible to seek and find the God he was looking for the God who he thought was not going to accept him, because I know that there's a text today that I can claim, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I walked away praying in my heart. I really hope that he opens the Bible. But I almost wanted to tell him, Get up, because it's an emergency. Whenever we are burdened with sin, there is a solution that we must seek out. It doesn't mean we have to be burdened. It could be that we're just relaxed with the idea of sin, like this man in the middle of the highway. And you want to say, "Get up." That's what pastors. Pastors have that passion. Get up, please. Don't stay there. I don't know if he's going to open the Bible. But even this morning, I prayed for him. Wondering and thinking and pondering. I wonder what his story will be like years from now. I told him, if you ever need to find me, this is where you, you'll find me. I'll be here whenever you're ready. I took his number, and be sure I'll be giving him a call to find out what's going on with him. But again, I almost wanted to say, get up. Christianity, you see, is not a passive thing. God is a God of action, isn't he? God calls, he invites, but we must go or come. But one thing that I know for sure is that whether you are a Christian or not, life has troubles. Life has difficulty. Christianity is not A religion where you just lay on your back and gaze upon the stars. It has action involved. Christianity is not a walk in the park or a stroll on the beach. It is not for wimps or cowards. The Bible is filled with men and women of courage, isn't it? Who stood the test, who prayed and shut up heaven that there be no rain, who, who called down fire and who battled armies alone, who shut the mouths of lions and so on who resisted the enemy, and in the face of danger, risked their own lives. You cannot read the Bible and walk away as a spineless individual. Ultimately, life's troubles demand firmness and courage. Life's troubles demands a grasp on faith and full confidence in God. No matter what the trouble of life is, we must not stay down. We must get up. That is our title today, get up. Here comes trouble. A man was talking to another man, and he told him, I found 15,000 people who have never experienced trouble in their lives. And the man responded, where are they? Come show me. The man responded, let's go to the cemetery. Meaning, we all experience troubles. As long as you are alive, troubles will come knocking on your door. Troubles, we all experience them. Maybe you've experienced some troubles this week. And you are wondering whether the promises of God are still valid. They seem to come in various shapes and sizes, troubles at least, in various locations and various times. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms 107 verse 6, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distress. The righteous cry. Have you ever felt that you've been overwhelmed by troubles? The bills maybe piling up or you got laid off? The car breaking down just at the opportune time? Just when you need it most? The car coughs, chokes and dies, and you're stuck in the driveway as you're on your way to do that interview. Sometimes it happens that way. The, the depression sets in as you realize that I'm in trouble, and you cry to the Lord, "Lord, deliver me." I believe that to this day there are thousands and thousands of people who are praying, "Lord, do something." And I just imagine God saying, get up. I imagine someone crying and praying, Lord, please give me a job. And the Lord says, get up and go fill out some applications. Lord, please do this. Get up. The Israelites were trapped between the Red Sea and between Pharaoh's army. If you go with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14, we find the story of Moses. Moses, the leader of the Israelites, were in transit from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. And we've been spending some time studying this this, this journey of the Israelites. And here they are stuck. As you could put it, between a rock and a hard place. Moses saw the, 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 the situation. Everyone analyzed it. The children of Israel had left and they were now stuck between Red Sea and Pharaoh. They saw the sight of the raging, foaming waters ready to devour a man who decides to jump in. Pharaoh was upset. They could see Pharaoh madly driving his chariot behind them and the sounds of horses' hoofs like thunder in the distance. And they were stuck. Were they in trouble? You bet they were. But instead of praying... You know what they did? They complained. Prayers that were supposed to go up to God turned into murmurs towards Moses. And so they began. Exodus chapter 14, and let's look at verse 11. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 11, the Bible says, Then they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt then? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. What was their preference? Slavery. Their preference was slavery. Slavery. In comparison to trouble in other words they were saying slavery was better for us than to be here right now have you ever thought of the fact that in the story the Egyptians or the Israelites are essentially saying it is better to be a slave than to follow God's leading and Moses said to the people do not be afraid he goes on verse 13 stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Who will fight? The Lord will fight for you. And the Lord said to Moses, after Moses was praying, the Lord asked Moses a question, why do you cry to me? In other words, like he said to Joshua, get up. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to do what? Go forward. In their troubles, the message from God was, go forward. They had to do something. And we often say that, you know, the Red Sea didn't part until someone put their feet down. Go forward. Troubles do arrest us. We get bogged down in the mire. But God's message to the Israelites were, for them, was for them to go forward. Troubles. Troubles are anything that causes difficulty, worry, inconvenience, or that prevents you from doing something. But in my opinion, there are two types of troubles in the Christian experience and in the Christian journey. Troubles that are beyond us and troubles because of us. Why well, are the two types? Troubles beyond us and troubles that are because of us. Beyond us, those type of troubles are beyond our control. There's nothing that we can do about them, except it be to pray and follow the Lord's will. Troubles because of us means we are the reason why these troubles are in front of us. Could be a bad decision that we've made. Could be something that we have done and never thought about the consequences. And so those troubles arrive. In this case with the Israelites, what kind of trouble were they in? Was it because of them? That they were stuck between the Red Sea and the the army, Pharaoh's army. God was still leading them. This trouble was beyond them. There's nothing that they could do about the situation. Except it be to pray and trust God. And so they prayed. And God did what for them? Parted the waters. There's a trouble though because of us. The second type of trouble that the Christian will have to deal with is that which is caused by us. In this world of sin, our choices not only affect us, but they also affect others. Often we call people trouble. Have you ever done that? Here comes trouble as he walks into church. Here comes trouble as he walks into the house. You know that there's something that's going to happen when this person is around could be uh, an in-law. It could be an aunt or an uncle who is more jovial and excited about things. And you know, here comes trouble as you gather and sit down together. Oh, I hope trouble is not there when I arrive. Here comes trouble. Trouble because of us. Be careful who you hang around. I remember a couple years ago, a friend of mine, we were, he invited me actually to go shopping with him. I mean, shopping is just an innocent activity. I don't really like shopping, but we were hanging out, so I, feel, I figured, let's go together, and so we went shopping. We went into the store. We were looking at clothes. You know, I was looking at the shirts. He was looking at the shorts, and he was looking at the pants, and all these. We were just walking around trying to figure out what to get. Before long, me walking with him, I saw something that shook me to the core. As we were walking together in the store, I saw him grabbing things and putting them and hiding them in his clothes. Here comes trouble. (laughs) And there I am standing and wondering what in the world is going to happen. If we get caught, it's not going to just be him. It's going to be both of us. So I walked out the store. (laughs) You know, sometimes when people do things wrong things around us, we don't confront them. We avoid the situation. I was not a Christian then, but even in my mind to this day, I wish I had confronted him. But he shoplifted that day, did not get caught. But since that time, every time I saw him, the conclusion in my mind was, here comes trouble. And I never went shopping with him again. Troubles caused by us. That was an awkward moment for me. But awkward moments do not only happen when you go shopping with people, awkward moments do happen in church too, where you see something go down and you walk away and not say anything about it because in your mind you're saying, here comes trouble. I don't want to be a part of this. Joshua had his fair share of trouble. This trouble was not beyond, in the sense it was was someone's fault why this trouble existed. Turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter uh, six, actually. So the Israelites had now left the Red Sea long time ago. A generation had generations had passed, wandered in the wilderness for forty years, and finally they entered the land of Canaan. The first victory that they received was the was the walls of Jerusalem. They came down as they as they marched around the city and shouted and blew the trumpet. Jericho, not Jerusalem. Sorry, Jericho. I was getting excited there. Jericho. The walls of Jericho came down, and a victory had been won. That victory, was it because of them, or was it because of God? It was because of God. Jericho, by the way, was their entrance into the promised land. It was the best path, as they were making their way through conquering and taking over cities. Jericho was a good victory. It was a good thing to remember. They had passed the Jordan just earlier, and now the city was given into their hands. Not by war, but simply by the sound of music. God had won a victory that day. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 6, page 251, that's where we are. Verse 17, the Bible says, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it, only, the, only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. And you, a command is given, by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become a curse when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a what? A curse and trouble it. Here comes trouble. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Clear command, yes or no? So the people shouted right after that command was given. The priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went into the city Every man straight before him, and they took the city. God had won a victory. But here comes trouble. Because in Joshua chapter 7, someone did something. While they were singing the song and celebrating around the walls of Jericho, the army went seven times without a stop, but one person went into the walls of Jericho, went went through into the city, and one thing was on his mind. Just one thing. What can I take and hide from God? Joshua chapter 7 verse 1, the Bible says, But, when you say but, what does that communicate? Something happened. Here comes trouble. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, which we just read. For Achan, the son of Carmi, Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the, the son of Zerah, Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the, so the anger of the Lord burnt against the children of Israel. Achan's name literally means trouble. Don't name your kids that. Achan's name literally means trouble. Here it is, that in this story, they had won a signal victory. God had won a victory for them, and here it is. Achan caused trouble. And so after Jericho, Joshua didn't realize that Achan had done this thing, so they sent men to spy out this other smaller city called Ai with just, with just a, a population of 12,000 people. Joshua was having a dialogue with, the, with his army, and the army responded by saying, verse 3, And they returned to Joshua and said to them, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two, two how How much? Two or three thousand men go up and attack AI. Do not weary all the people there. Therefore, the people are few. In other words, Joshua, this is an easy victory. Ain't no reason to trouble ourselves. Just send a small number; they will conquer this city. AI is small. We just conquered Jericho, and the men of AI defeated. The Israelites. Though they were small in number, God was not with the Israelites. And so they were defeated. Here comes trouble. And the men, men of Ai, verse 5, struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down to, the, to under the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like what? Water. They understood that they were in trouble. Joshua's response to this trouble was this in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Achan had caused trouble. Achan had caused trouble. Ai was, by the way, a straight path into the rest of the promised land. After Ai, there was another city. Ai was a smaller city, but there was another city that they had to conquer after that. But if they failed to conquer Ai, the news would spread immediately, and they would be defeated. Joshua was concerned. And so he began praying to the Lord. Here are his words. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, wh- all that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Or oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? What is God's response? What is God's response? Verse 10. Get up. Here comes trouble, but God's response is, get up. There was something that needed to be done. You know, Achan is a very interesting character. Achan understood what was going on. Achan heard the news. Achan also heard the command given in Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. He was there when the, voices, when, when the, the command was given, do not take of the accursed things. He listened, but nonetheless he ran into the city and grabbed what he could. And then Achan was so, what's the word, deceptive, he took those things and brought them to his tent, dug a hole, and buried them underneath. And as Achan was in his tent, he was pretending the whole time that nothing happened. The army went up to Ai to defeat the city. They came back wounded. Thirty men died. And I imagine Achan to be listening to the conversations. I imagine Achan to be watching Joshua in the temple of God falling down on his face. But said nothing. Here comes trouble. Achan said nothing. Joshua's sorrow did not move Achan to make a decision. Joshua's prayer did not move Achan to make a confession. Joshua pled with God from morning until the evening, and still Achan did nothing. Can you imagine that? Here comes trouble. God told Joshua, finally, Get up. You know, I, in this story, I, I see a lot in how God treats the sinner. God told Joshua, get up. The mission of the church was thwarted. God was not allowed to do more for the children of Israel because there was a man in their midst who had not decided to confess and give his heart to God. There was still time for the man who was trouble. There was still time for him to come boldly and confess his guilt. But still, he said nothing. He did nothing. Hour after hour had passed. Joshua, one could hear hear Joshua's mourning as he pled with God. One could see the solemnity of the camp as everyone was praying. It was morning. It was noonday. But finally, evening had come, and the voice of God was heard. Get up. Get up. Joshua, why do you lie here on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. And so Joshua went searching. God gave Joshua some command, and that command was not executed until the next day. Which day? The next day. The Bible says in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 7, In the morning, therefore, you you shall be brought according to your tribes... And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Achan heard these words too. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And so Joshua began the process. He brought the clan of Judah. He took the family of the Zerahites. He brought the family of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. But yet still, Achan said nothing. I just, in my mind, wonder why. In my mind, to this day, I wonder what he was thinking. And to me, this picture that we have on the slide, whether it be illustratively or symbolically, would show an idea of what an Achan looks like. This is an emergency, but nonetheless, he chose not to move. Joshua now begs. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. Make what? And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Finally, Joshua, God pointed a finger on Achan and he finally stood before Joshua. Joshua told him, give glory to God. Tell me what you have done. Achan still did not come forward up to this point, but finally he confesses. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, and it's interesting that Achan would still classify it as a beautiful Babylonian garment, which means that he still desired it. No change of heart. A beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And so Achan had these things he had stolen. Among his stuff. Among his stuff. In this story of Achan, I wonder how Christ presses and prays and falls down and speaks on your behalf and on my behalf. He pleads our cases, Lord, forgive them. But yet, if they confess, they will be forgiven. I imagine Christ pleading and praying. But yet, I also imagine a time when God will finally say, Get up. Why pray anymore? It's done. It's over. Go get your children. Where will be the achens at that time? Christ is pleading. As I look at Joshua falling down on his face, I think of a moment where Christ himself fell down on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, 36 through 39. Jesus came with the disciples into the garden, Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Jesus came with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go, pray over there. He took with him Peter And the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. What was his sorrow? Why was he sorrowful? He was bearing the sins of the world. He was bearing the sins of Achans. He was pleading, asking his father, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The plan was not going to be changed. A price had to be paid for sin. Then he said to them in verse 38, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I believe Jesus is still praying. I believe Jesus is still pleading. In the person of Joshua, I can see Jesus falling down on his face each time the church fails to win a victory. I can see him pleading on behalf of the sinner, our great intercessors before the altar, pleading on behalf of his people. Confess while there is time. You need to move toward giving your heart to him and do it now. There's a story that I read about some time ago of a man who stole a car. He figured he would get away with the crime, saw the car, parked, the key was left in it. He hopped in the driver's seat, turned the car on, and on his way, he went. As he was driving, the owner of the car recalled that there was a problem with this car. And so the owner went to the police station to speak with the police. Not not necessarily about the car, but about what was in it. The driver was driving the car, thinking he got away with the vehicle, while the person was pleading with the police officers, please go find him. Because in that car, on the passenger seat, there were some cookies laced with rat poison. So now it was the police were in pursuit not of a thief to apprehend him only but a thief to save his life. And I feel that's what happened to us as sinners. We feel we can get away with things. But Jesus is in pursuit of us. And he pleads and pleads and urgently seeks to find us so that we can be saved. The cross is a symbol of this. The world was plunged into, the, to it, into despair, and here comes trouble. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus hung on a cross to save people who are in trouble, who cause trouble. Do you hear his voice speaking to you today? Every single person has to stand before Jesus one day, And all of us who cause trouble, God not only wants to forgive, but that forgiveness must happen now. This man again surprised me because he walked into my office. He was in trouble, not only because of situation or circumstances, he was in trouble because of him. He felt guilty. He felt burdened. He told me some of the things that he had done. And I said to him, God can forgive you. But there's a condition. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I told him the promise and I said, listen, God wants to save your life. I said, Jermaine, I don't know you. Nothing gives me the right to speak to you this way, but I feel there's a sense of urgency. God is calling you to give your life to him. I almost wanted to say to him, get up. Go to God while there's still time. I wonder if in this congregation, there's someone here burdened too with guilt. Wondering if God can forgive them too. Wondering if you are in pursuit By God, I want to tell you, just like I told Jermaine, God wants to save you, and it is for you to get up. So today, my appeal is going to be a little bit different. If you feel that there's something that you're hiding among your own stuff, that you need to bring to the Lord, and confess while there's still time, I'm going to invite you to get up and do something about it. No one knows, probably. None of us need to know. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. There's something weighing on your heart. You know that there is something keeping you back in that relationship with God. And you want to say, Lord, today is the day that I confess that thing to you and let it go so that I may be free and free indeed. I'm going to invite you to get up, stand up on your feet, Give it to the Lord, for he is pleading and calling you by name. My second appeal is that if you, in your walk with Christ, while you've given your heart to him some time ago, and yet in this journey with Christ, you realize that there are some things that you've been learning about yourself, that yet still, while you're a Christian, you know they do not belong there and you want to hand those things over to God, I'm going to invite you too to get up and give it to the Lord. Now is the time. Now is the opportune time. I pray for you regularly. Amen. I plead with the Lord for you each day. Before I preach any sermon here, I pray ahead of time and ask the Lord to speak to someone's heart. I know there's someone else here today. Something is weighing on your heart, and you want to hand it over to Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the time. Do not wait. Now is the time. I pray that you may continue to give your lives to Jesus. Let's all stand together and pray to close. God is calling us today to give our lives and our hearts to him. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for your eagerness and your willingness to save us. Father, we desire heaven, but desiring heaven only doesn't solve the problem. We ought to desire you ultimately. We desire forgiveness. We desire cleansing. But desiring only does us no good. We come to you confessing, asking you to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim that promise in 1 John 1, verse 9, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for your eagerness, your love for us. And we thank you for dying to save us even when we weren't ready to receive that gift. We receive it now, Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.